Coming to you live from the Cross Country Mortgage Campus in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, let's do it live on a first Friday miracle edition of Cleveland Browns Daily. I am merely Bo. He is the voice of your Cleveland Browns, the great Jim Donovan, joining me on the program here for the next two hours. And we've got a lot to get to because we're going to have a defensive coordinator in here this afternoon. What a day, huh? What a day. Boy, that didn't take long. I give, no. them, a, I give them a lot of credit, A, for the guy they got, who I think the world of. Um, and I never liked when you were going in and playing against his defense, be it in Tennessee, Buffalo or certainly Philadelphia. So, A, you know, they get him. But, B, they did it very quickly, and I think they needed to because the marketplace gets crowded. And it gets volatile in a hurry. This is going to become ultra-competitive here um, at the defensive coordinator right. as these head coaching jobs are, 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 are starting to get filled, Jim. And it's interesting. I, I'll share this. I shared with you off-air, and I'll share this story, and then mm-hmm. we'll get to a bigger point. So yesterday, convalescing, uh, we have a furniture piece of furniture delivered. And as it comes in, the guys recognize, know that I'm associated with the Browns. What do you think is going to happen at defensive coordinator? And I say, boy, I don't know. You know, I know they got to move quickly on this thing. I know they want to move quickly on this thing. Uh, and the guy asked me directly, he goes, well, what about Jim Schwartz? And I said, no, nah, I don't think so. I think that's going to cost, you know, you can have a lot of <laughs> roster overhaul that could come with that. Two hours later, Jim Schwartz is hired, uh, to which you said, well, I've known Jim Schwartz for a long time. And there I are, have, yeah. there is a heck of an incubator that took place here in the early 90s. This is where it all started for Jim Schwartz. A you know, brilliant guy, Georgetown educated, you know, wanted to get into the football business. I'm sure his parents said, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You went to Georgetown? You become a lawyer if you go to Georgetown. Imagine that uh, conversation. Yeah, imagine that. No, mom and dad, I want to I want to go into the NFL. I want to go into football. So he becomes part of the Belichick Brigade which was a really interesting group. Um, if you go back to when Bill Belichick got into the NFL and into football full scale, it was, of course, through his dad, who was working at Navy for all of those years. But he hooked up with Ted Marchabrota and got into the Baltimore Colts to view tape and to, and to write yeah. scouting reports. And so then Bill passed that on. If I become a head coach, that's what I'm going to do you know, in Cleveland as the head coach of the Browns. And that's what he did. And so the Phil Savages, Eric Mangini, and Jim Schwartz all become part of a group. And there were others too, Bo. But their life and their style of life in coming here was not exorbitant. And it wasn't the life of the rich and famous. It was the life of the grinder and poor. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they all like shared an apartment in in Berea. Um, I think they made topped out maybe at 20,000 bucks a year. And they watched film and tape all day, all night long, and had to write up the scouting reports that were very detailed and had a certain style of Bill Belichick. And if you did it the right way and you were so you know very committed to it and didn't say, hey, I got to do something else. I need to pick up some hours at Giant Eagle or something. <laughs> um, then Belichick kind of believed in you and you would advance up the, the food chain. And Jim Schwartz did that. And that's how it started. It started here. It was the, it was the price to pay. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it was the absolute price. And if you weren't going to pay it all the way, not 100 percent, but 150 percent, he was you weren't going to be one of his guys. You might land somewhere else, but you weren't going to be one of his guys. And he certainly was one of his guys then. Yeah, it's it, Saban was in the mix at that time. And in terms of the guys you're talking about, Schwartz, Mangini, uh, wasn't Kurt Ferentz on that staff too? Kurt Ferentz had come from the University of Maine, yeah. and they brought him in to coach 
wow, offensive lineman. And certainly, you he's know, done he's done that even with his own kids, right? Um, yeah, it was, a, you know, he had Gary Tranquil, who had come in from Navy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Belichick was a fascinating guy, which always leads to probably a future documentary. <laughs> and I know there have been other ones done about this, and certainly about the Cleveland chapter of Bill Belichick. But you just wonder if they had let that take root a little bit longer. There were signs, Bo, that he was yeah. about ready to do it. He had gotten them in to the playoffs in 94. Now, everything fell apart in 95 because of the mm-hmm. move and when it was announced. But going into 95, I can remember they were favored to win the AFC championship off of what they had done the year before. And you just wonder if, and I think what it came down to, why it might not have taken root like it did in New England as the head coach of the Patriots and building the the newest dynasty, he could never get the quarterback, which of course he ended up getting in New England. Couldn't get the quarterback. Bernie was at the end of his days in Cleveland and the quote of diminishing skills when mm-hmm. he caught him. Uh, he reinvented Vinny Testaverde yep. and did it very, very well. And that's the quarterback that got them to the playoffs. He had guys like Eric Zier, Todd Philcox. You know, there was no Tom Brady in there. That was the only thing I think that halted him and probably would have halted him from, I think they would have been good, but not great. Yeah, sure, because right the first uh, the first draft in Baltimore nets you Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden in <laughs> that bad. draft. Yeah. So that's your Not first bad. time out. Right. It, it's one of the great what ifs. Yeah. Um, is that old wound about what could have been had it just been allowed to incubate? You could argue that uh, the best NFL coach of all time on that staff and the best college coach of all time on that staff and Belichick and Saban uh, both on that staff together, which is a stunning. And then the rest of these guys' successes in their own right um, in every way. And this this brings us back to Schwartz, who you think about. Um, you think about how long he's been in this game yeah. and what he's seen. And I think the you, you, you bring it back to Belichick. When you think about our defense this year and to a larger extent, maybe our team this year, and you go to say, well, what are one of the things that, that we have to be and that we weren't? The first word that comes to mind is accountable. Um, yeah. is, is accountability. I mean, we have smart, tough, accountable all over the building in here. <laughs> and the accountable part is something that has to be, that box has to be checked. And Jim, I've talked with guys who played with Jim Schwartz who played for him this yeah. morning and all of them say accountability high on the list. And that would be right in the Belichick tree. No doubt about it. Uh, no matter what your pedigree was when you walked into the building, it, it is rebirthed once you get here and you have to start all over. I mean, and I think that's what's going to happen here. Very talented defense, mm-hmm. you know, on paper, no doubt about it. A lot of potential, great credentials coming in where they all played, how they played, where they played, and, and they walked into the NFL. Not enough of them have reached that at an NFL level, and you have to wonder why and is yeah. someone going to be able to extract that? And this is a guy that, if it's there, I think he can extract it from you and will demand that of you, or you're not going to be on the field for him. And, and yeah. he's just done a great job wherever he's been. Really, it's not a pretty Sunday when you go in against one of his defenses, yeah. no matter where he's been. I remember a couple of years ago, Kevin's first year here, when the Browns made the run and made the playoffs, um, it was on a rainy, cold, dark Sunday afternoon. And the Eagles were struggling. He was he was with the Eagles at that point. They were post-Super Bowl. Carson Wentz was not playing well. Doug Peterson 
and Wentz were not even speaking, I think, at that mm-hmm. point. Remember that? Yeah, oh, yeah. They came in here, but it was a son of a gun of a time beating them that day. And you have to remember in that game, though the Browns won, remember Taki Taki had a pick six in the game. So remember the defense scored in that game. Yeah. But I remember we struggled offensively against them, and, and that was because of the way Jim Schwartz and the Eagles defense played. And, of course, before that, I thought his game plan that day against New England in that Super Bowl was brilliant. Oh, I mean, one of the great game plans that you have. You know how sometimes they laminate those things and <laughs> put them down in Canton? <laughs> I think he deserves that. It's one of the all-timers. I, I mean, think he, it is, yeah. He, he's part of a, he is part of a team that, that beat Brady and Belichick with Nick Foles and got the stops that were required when they had to get them. And it's that that is that's a Hall of Fame resume oh, plaque that's going to yeah. be there for sure. Um, I, you know, I think that the other thing with Jim and I, you know, when he, and I didn't, don't have the personal recollections that you do, having not been in a place where he's been just secondhand hearing people like you or people who have played for him uh, talk about him. But the first image that came to mind was him with Jim Harbaugh. And oh, yeah. Remember those fiery exchanges? That's right. You know, yeah, and we, yeah. you know, Nathan and I talked about this a lot this year. Um, remember that Harbaugh tried to shortchange him on the on the handshake and then they got he kind of walked year. away and then he yeah. went, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> right. So those are great. Um, but, you know, we talked about this a lot this year on the program because and we talked about it with Joe. We are not um, our best players are not. They are not follow me to freedom guys. They're not loud and boisterous. Our yeah, best players, yeah, Miles, Nick, Cooper. Amari, yeah, Cooper. They, they are Chubb. largely Chubb. Yeah. They're they're largely quieter. Follow me by example, guys. Our coaching staff, I would say, is not follow me to freedom, guys. Our coaching staff has been the last couple of years has yeah. been more of, hey, we're professionals. Do your job. Let's get it done. And I don't I don't That's think you need point. false bravado, Jim. I think false bravado can lead you in a wrong way. But I think you need a little bit of natural bravado somewhere, whether that's player, coaching staff. My hunch is Schwartz gives him a little bit of that. Yeah, I think um, on our staff right now, I would say Bill Callahan might be a guy. And and I always would say, and we we said it during the summer, fans, if you come out and you watch the Browns in training camp and you want a good show, watch Bill Callahan work Mm -hmm. with the offensive linemen. That's quite a couple of hours, two hours, hour and a half when he's with them. I mean, real, you know, old school but very, very effective. I would agree with you. I think I think that's the way this goes. And I and I think that's an accurate description of our coaching staff. They're kind of cerebral. Mm-hmm. Um, they're new wave. I think that's why they were successful that first year. So they did so well the COVID year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were impeccably organized with the Zoom and the meetings. Yeah. They were way ahead of the curve in the NFL. And you know what? It translated into early wins. I mean, mm-hmm. there were some teams that just never got it, but some teams got it, but maybe eight games into it, eight weeks into it. But this group was really on it right away, which was amazing because they were a new staff. But I agree with you. I, and I think Jim Schwartz is kind of a guy that I think, is he a drill sergeant? Maybe a little bit, but I think he's a demanding, smart guy. And I think when you can lay out what you've done to these players, I yeah. think that they'll march in a straight line for you. I hope they – I think these guys, I still hold it in my heart, and I know Browns fans do, that players want to be coached, you know? They do. I mean, I think they – you know, Every do they want to be – you know, they used to always say about Tom Brady, he liked being coached and he wanted to be coached hard, you know? Pick them out of the meeting and, you know, make an example of them um, so that everybody sees that. Um, and I, I, I hope that's here. Yeah, I I think it's here. I think it's necessary. You know, it's funny. uh, Somebody on social media shared a clip of three years ago uh, where um, 
where Jim was in here for an interview for the job Kevin got. Yeah. And Nathan and I, when we were we were interviewing a, a Philadelphia beat guy about Schwartz, and he was a guy who was in here who was interviewed, and there was a, a lot of talk, and uh, certainly felt at that time that we were going to go offensive, whether it was uh, whether because that's you know at that point it was we got to salvage Baker Mayfield because it went bad year two with Freddie Kitchens, right. and so it was we got to find somebody who can get the best out of this guy. So so Kevin was certainly somebody. It was his second time in a row that he was on a short list. Sure. Uh, and then Josh McDaniels was in here for a, if you'll remember for a full day uh, for that That's job. Right. He was yeah. in here and, and finally left at night but was here all day. But Schwartz was in, and we did an interview with a guy about about Jim and what makes him tick and those type of things. And it's interesting, the same questions we were asking about the type of person Jim was then, the beat reporter from Philly at that time, Jim, they're the same questions we're asking now. It's the same stuff because – in very different manners do we get here, but coming off of the kitchens year, you were looking for accountability. You were looking for structure. You were looking for uh, non-bus, that type of thing. And I, I'm optimistic that this can be the guy. And I, you know, I think back to, and I'm, I, so he talks at two 30 today, and I'm sure you could, you'd probably would acknowledge this as well. When you hear Belichick, he has such a reverence for this town. Belichick does. And Always. For the history. Yeah. Of this franchise. Bring, I mean, even when they're here, Bo, yeah. and they've won, and they did that this year, yeah. he'll always bring the players out, young players mostly, and he'll bring them out. And I think he did it again this year. He did. Brought them out, brought them out into the middle of the field, took a look at the ring of honor that was around there, and talked about it. I think the time before this, when he brought them here, I think it was when Brady just came in here and ripped the team up after he had been suspended in mm -hmm. Deflategate. Um, they're pulling out the buses. He made them pull over, brought them all out again to the Jim Brown statue, and yeah. talked about Jim Brown. You're right. I mean, the, the whole thing about the Cleveland Browns and Paul Brown yeah. um, meant the world to him and has had a great effect on his coaching life. And my hunch will be today when Jim Schwartz speaks, he touches on that. Yeah. My guess is there's a warm spot for him, for this organization, for it being a starting point for him. If you're somebody who goes to Georgetown and then you get into football, then you have a love of the game, right? right. Yeah. You're not doing that. There's yeah. a lot of pathways that are open for you right. when you go to Georgetown. So that means you love the game, the history of it. I, my hunch is, and you, I, my guess is it's reflected this afternoon, that, that Jim Schwartz's love of this organization and the history of it had a lot to do with what we're going to have here this afternoon, and I'm guessing you'll get his best. Yeah, oh, I think so, and I think he probably takes a look at this, and, um, you know, it's you'd, you'd love to be in on the interview mm -hmm. to hear, okay, um, you know, do they say, here's our defense, and I'm sure a guy coming in for the job does his homework and takes a look at it anyway, yeah. and assesses it and says, okay, give us, you know, what would you do, right? Yep. What are you going to do with it? Now, he has always seemed to be a guy um, that has built an incredible – defensive line yes wherever he's been you know albert hainsworth javon curse you know um you know you know, uh, all of the guys i mean fletcher cox yep. and those kind of guys that have that have come here marcel darius yes all of those names i mean those are those are defensive linemen and he seems to build it there and why not i mean isn't that what we're looking for we're looking for a better play on the yeah. inside with those defensive tackles um to and really that's almost the start point when you talk about this defense yeah it absolutely is. It's going to be a fun one. His press conference scheduled for around 2.30 this afternoon. We will have it for you live. Browns fans today through midnight on February 9th. Head to NFL.com FedEx, the NFL's official Twitter handle, or the NFL mobile app to cast your vote for Nick Chubb as a FedEx Ground Player of the Year. The 2022 FedEx Air and Ground NFL Players of the Year will be announced during the NFL Honors on February 9th. Much to get to here, including what this could mean for our roster. Jim and I will tackle that coming up next. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Ballybet, coming soon to Ohio. 
850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Hey, be part of one of the most passionate fan bases in the NFL. Join the Browns season ticket member waitlist today for the best chance at securing tickets to all home games in future seasons. Don't miss out. Go to clevelandbrowns.com slash tickets or call 440-891-5050 to reserve your spot today. Um, in terms of where this defense fits, and let's go back to the comment I made to my delivery guys yesterday. Uh, that, that this roster, <laughs> What were they delivering, Bo? Uh, it was a wonderful console. Oh, a console nice. that was going adjacent to a staircase that apparently was going to tie the whole room together. At least that's what my wife says. I don't. It showed up, and I said, when did we get this? Oh, did, okay, all right. It's kind of like Amazon. It then just all keeps of a showing the, up. Then all of a sudden, the Property Brothers knocked on your door. <laughs> Come on in. Come on in. Come on in, boys. What do we need? Um, but the, the reason that I was curious about Jim, and I, I have had some of that, some of my beliefs in what he would need, and it'll get back to what you were saying about the defensive line, were cleared up a little bit this morning talking to people that played with Schwartz. And, and the one thing that it came back to was – what Jim Schwartz will expect out of a defense is a very simplified approach. Yeah. So I was talking to Bobby Carpenter, who played for him in Detroit, and he said, you're not going to get corner pointing at safety going, that's you, that's you. Uh-huh. He's like, you won't get that because there won't be any sort of gray area. It will be black or white. This is what you do on this. This is what you do on this. There won't be any interpretation. Well, so I, I, won't, I won't miss that. <laughs> that was tough. <laughs> yeah. Those were tough. Those are tough ones. Um, so, yeah, hopefully those things go away. But it does get back to the bigger issue. And we went into this offseason, and we're viewing everything through an offensive prism because you've paid $230 million for a franchise Absolutely. quarterback. And you said, hey, we have got to get a speed receiver who can take the top off a of defense. No doubt. Job one. This might move up to job 1A, or does it go to job one in terms of the defensive line? Well, it will, it will be, um, you know, what kind of cachet will he bring in to the organization? And, um, you know, the, you, you, he will probably have his most political capital right now yeah. coming in new. And, and them saying, hey, listen, we, we recognize we need help here, so you're here to help us. Okay, I can help you, you know, but this is what we have to do. So I think that normally when a new coordinator comes in with a new system, because it will be, it will be a new system, and um, I think then you have to allow him to get the people to play that system. And how long can you wait? Can you wait deep into the draft? Can you, you know, can you, can you spend in free agency? Can you do it through trade? Those are really the three avenues. So I think it will be how his evaluation of the defense and what does he need but I think you're right. I think that all year long, over to the other side of the ball, Bo, it was very, very apparent that they were short a receiver. Yeah. You know, they were short a receiver. So as I take a look at them right now, offensively and defensively, they have a number of projects that, that they have. They have players who are projects. Mm-hmm. And if, if one or two of these projects finally clicks, then so much the better. But... If you're going to win right now, I think you need a little bit more of a proven commodity and have a player who's definitely going to come in here and make an impact and help you win rather than these incremental improvements. And, you know, so many times Nathan, I'll sit into the game and Nathan will say, you know, I heard he had a good week in practice. And I think that's great. But I need him to have a good Sunday afternoon. 
And so I think that they're in the wide receiver group, and I think along the defensive line, and maybe in other areas of the defensive line, but really a receiver and on that defensive line, there are projects. Togi, uh, Winfrey, yeah. um, you know, uh, now Winovich, you know, is, mm-hmm. how is he going to take shape? Likewise, Michael Woods, David Bell, you know, what's going to happen? Schwartz, what's going to happen there? Um, so they need some of those projects to, to really become bona fide players. And the problem, the, you're, you're, the rubber has met the road there. True. Because this is go time. This yeah. is that your best yeah. players are in their prime. Yeah. The kid Elliot, Jordan Elliot. Jordan Elliot. Okay, he's going into his fourth year. Now they've been very, very patient. Um, and there are flashes that he's okay, yeah, that's a that's a big time play right there. But there aren't a stack of big time plays yet, to the point where you're saying it's third down and short, Elliot's in there, man. He's gonna get in, he's gonna invade that uh, you know, across the line of scrimmage and make a play and you know, there's just not a belief there yet. And, you, and you're right, the rubber has met the road in a lot of these cases. It's now time. And it feels like they're all kind of on the, you know, you think about Togiai, Elliott, uh, Winfrey obviously just going into his second year, um, and then and then obviously Bell just going into a second, Woods going into a second, Schwartz going into a fourth, third? I think it's third, third year. Yeah, um, but, I mean, these guys were mid-round draft picks. True. And in order, right. in, right. look, you, you got a couple of things where you're building a roster that have to happen. You got to hit on the ones. You got to hit on the twos, and you got to sort of hit on the mids. Yeah, you, you, exactly. Th- some of them have to be guys that you can count on. Yeah. Otherwise, roster building is tough. And I think that's why this is a tricky year. If, if you bring it back to the Schwartz defense, um, and this wouldn't matter if we hired Jim Schwartz or Brian Dable or not Brian Dable, Brian Flores, right. whoever it may be, it didn't matter. You got to find a defensive end opposite Miles. Mm-hmm. You've sure. got to find a big time D tackle, and if you want to. Hope that Winfrey and Togiai and Elliott or one of those guys goes. You got to have somebody with them. So that's two big deals that got to be sorted out. You will not pick until forty second in the draft. Mm. Now you've got some cap space, not a ton, but you got some with the rollover situation. You could create some more John sure. Johnson, etc. Yeah. So that you're, you're going to have ways to move. You can always massage the cap. Uh, but Andrew Barry's got a very big next month on his on his plate. No doubt about it. I I agree. And um, when you take a look at that um, and the defense and you start up front and we haven't even addressed the second line of that, which would be the linebacker. And remember, they have they had and, and presently have they had a very certain style of linebacker that they wanted to play with. Now, I don't know if that's the linebacker he wants to play with, which will be another interesting part of it. What I do think he's going to like is our corners. Mm -hmm. And he is a. He is, as you mentioned when we came back from break, he is kind of a basic guy, mm-hmm. and we're just very good at the basics. And if you're very good at the basics, it's pretty easy to understand, and you just win. I think he's a man-for-man guy out of that. I think they like to play man, and I think our guys are good playing that. Yes. you know, And I think they'll be fine. Now, the safety situation has to be probably addressed and has to be fixed. But our corners, I think, will fit well with what he wants to do. If he's walking in to a good situation with a surplus in one position group, I would think it would be our corners. I would agree with you. As you were saying that, I just was thinking to myself, like from a defensive wish list standpoint, um, and I, you think about the following, and then let's let's rank them and see where they would be. Defensive tackle. Defensive end. I think you might need a thumper linebacker. Right. I think you might need a deep center safety. Because 
Delpit wants to sneak in, and he showed that he's dang good at that. You might need I a center fielder. When, I think that's when he arrived. Yes, when, I agree. He, when he arrived at the line of scrimmage. You're right. It's kind of like the days when Jabril Peppers was here and Greg Williams kept him way back. He was playing in Willoughby the first year, and then they brought him in, and he looked like a, a different Who player. You know, both that, um, about the linebacker thing, that's what stood out. Unfortunately, when Phillips got hurt and yeah. JOK got hurt, um, and Taki Taki went into the middle and really played well until he got hurt. I mean, re- I thought he really played well, and he just popped. And you said to yourself, well, why, why is he popping? Well, first of all, physically, he's able to do it. He's a big guy. And then Raglan came in and played well, and That's then they good. had the other kid come in and play well. And, I, you know, I thought that uh, all of a sudden when they went with the more standard physically built linebackers, they played better. Yeah. So that will be interesting to see what kind of linebackers he wants here. Yeah, and Anthony Walker's a guy who, until he got hurt, was playing at an incredible level, uh, but the injury happened there. Jacob Phillips is another guy that's one of the – you talk about those projects that was drafted. When he's healthy, he's been good. Yep. He just hasn't been healthy. He hasn't been healthy. And it's been a yep. lot of years of that. Yep. I agree with you on Taki. He, he came into his own. Um, that will be the checklist, though, I think. It will be, in some order, defensive tackle and opposite miles, a linebacker, who can fill because they're going to play the wide nine. Yeah. The ends are going to be out wide. They're going to be trying to get around the edge. That's right. what it's going to be. And sure. Sometimes you can move miles in on passing downs, but primarily that's where he feasts Absolutely. is out there. So you yeah. keep him out there. And then I do think they need a center fielder. Yeah. But they have hit, you know, I, I, we mentioned a lot of names about projects that really haven't popped yet. And some of them are because they're, they're infants. Okay. Yeah. In the NFL standard, but I think they have hit. I mean, and you're right. You get, you have to hit the ones and you want to have those middle ones hit, but boy, they hit in the sixth round with Donovan people's Sure did. And so that's, that's a big thing to do. Um, and I think they really hit with the kid Emerson at corner. Oh. I mean, he is a big physical corner that I think any coordinator would love nowadays in the NFL size, mm-hmm. a physicality, and, a, and an ability to get in there. You know, Kevin always talks about we have to be sticky mm-hmm. in the secondary. Emerson was, I think, the stickiest. Now, yes. Denzel Ward has a timing that is impeccable at times. He can come in and really time a play and break the ball up that way. And, and he doesn't shun away from physicality. Emerson plays you physically the entire game. I mean, he really, he does. really does. He had a fantastic game against Tampa. He had a great game against Cincinnati that night. He had a great battle in Pittsburgh all day long against that rookie Pickens. You know, all yeah. game long. And Deontay Johnson. He takes on all comers. Oh, he can't wait for the challenge. Yeah. I mean, he's got that dog in him. Like, sure. he can't yeah. wait to do that. You know, he's one of those guys uh, that – and I, I remember having – we were out on the on the training camp field, and you, you'd come by, and we were chatting with you here on the program. And, and he was one of those guys that you just looked out there, and you just went, now, who's that again? All right. You just – there's a certain type to him that it appealed. And I do think you're right. And we're talking about all the things that we need. And I do think it's right to talk about the people who will thrive in this. Um, obviously, I think Miles will thrive in this. Miles will thrive in anything. Those three corners will thrive in this. Denzel stays healthy. Yeah. Newsom, Emerson, they will thrive. And I think Delpit will thrive in this. Um, I think all of those guys, their best is going to be ahead because one of the things with early in the season, especially um, some of the confusion that happened in that back end and Delpit was involved in some of that. And Denzel was involved in some of that. That's done. I, I think that stuff's <laughs> got to be done here. I think Schwartz will demand that that stuff is done. And I think everyone gets on the same page from that standpoint. But I, I think when we talk about, let's remember this guy is one of the best in the business at what he does. He saw the pieces that were here and said, I, I like that. 
I yeah. like the opportunity there. So while there are boxes that need to be checked, the the talent that is here can really be incubated under his defense. Yeah, and he was the first guy they, they went to. Yeah. Um, normally, that's a very, very good sign. I think they were very prepared. I give them a lot of credit. Um, and I know it's tough. I, I have to tell you, when I watched Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski the day that they had to come down after the season was over and they had to announce the make it official that Joe Woods yep. was relieved of his duties. I think they wore a real pained look on their face that day because they're both wonderful guys. Okay. Yep. And Joe Woods is a good guy too. And that was a very difficult thing for them to do. They hadn't really had to do that. I mean, yeah. the staff had been together. Kevin's first time head coach. I don't, you know, he had welcomed guys onto his staff, but he hadn't had to fire a guy off his staff. So that that's a new step for them. And I, I think that was tough for them. Um, and they wore that. But I give them a lot of credit. They were very prepared for this thing because they had a list that they wanted to go out and do the interview process right away. And they got that done. And they, you know, I really believe they got the guy that they wanted. I'll say this for this regime. They are prepared. They have True. done the homework on now the how they execute it all, but they know where they're going and they were very determined on this and they got the guy that they wanted uh, in Jim Schwartz and certainly boxes to be checked, but a lot to like about it. Uh, his press conference should be in about an hour from now. We will carry that for you live here on Cleveland Browns Daily. Coming up next, our reactions to Super Wild Card Weekend. We will go around the NFL. There is a lot going on in the league here in the last couple of days as we head into the divisional round. We'll get into some of that. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Well, there's a new way to cheer on your Cleveland Browns with the help of your favorite four-legged companion, Barking Backers, presented by Milkbone, the Browns' newest club for pet parents worldwide. Sign up today at BarkingBackers.com. Barking Backers, the fan club for dogs. What? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose this one to you, my friend. The great yeah. Jim Donovan, the voice of the Browns. <clears throat> The, the first example of what that comes to your mind historically from what happened in Jacksonville on Saturday night, you got a kid throw four picks, yeah. five turnovers at half, and just somehow sorts it out. Yeah. The only thing I can think of um, was, boy, I'm trying to think, Bo. The only time I can think of something like that, are you saying here? Well, just in here? general, like the, go ahead. Well, the, the night that Baker Mayfield came in and won on that Thursday night, Tyrod Taylor had started. Yep. And, and you know, he left with a concussion. But before that, I mean, he was terrible. Yes. I mean, and everything was going wrong. And if you remember going into the stadium that night, people said, if we're ever going to win, this, is this gotta, is it. This has got to be it. And if we lose this one, we're never going to win. Um, and then Baker came in and completely turned it around yes. and, and electrified the place. Um, but I can't. I I can't remember a quarterback having as bad a start as that was to the to the point where you're tuning the game out. It's over, right? I will say this: when we went down there in August mm -hmm. for the first preseason game of the year, I. I looked at the Jaguars and I said, good for them. Yeah. You know, Doug Peterson's here. He's going to bring an NFL mentality here. And good for Trevor Lawrence because God knows he needs it after what happened the year before yeah. that. But, <laughs> you know, they'll make some nice steps this year. They're going to win about four games. But a playoff team, I, I just can't believe what, what Doug Peterson 
has done there. I mean, I know they brought in some. I, I think they they really did it through free agency, and they got ETN back. Huge. You remember, he lost his his rookie year. Um, but but I have to tell you, he's done an amazing job. That is an amazing story down there. Doesn't and and I'll give a lot. They're of, two steps from being the London right. Jaguars. <laughs> Boy, you want to go way back? You're right. <laughs> Shad Khan, if he gets Wembley, yeah, remember he right. tried buying That's Wembley right. Stadium yeah, right. and then it fell yeah, through. Exactly. <laughs> Who knows? They would be the 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 London Jaguars. Yeah, I, and give credit. We you rarely give credit to ownership when you you know a lot of times they get the brunt of it and don't get a lot of credit for the right. things they do right. Not that there was a necessarily a choice in the matter, but Shad Khan saying I'm out on Urban Meyer. I've seen enough. That's it. I'm out. He yeah. was deservedly so, justified, absolutely. Right. But did not let that thing play its course. Play the course. Got out of it got an adult in the room who understood the NFL and saved a kid who is it most people thought was a generational player coming out of Clemson and frankly looked like it in the second half on Saturday. Jim, the mental toughness. Yeah. Four picks. Uh, right. To bounce back from that and and lift up. Yeah. Woo. Normally you would throw four picks and you go to somebody That's else, it. right? You're, done. You're out of there. I mean, um the other thing is um about that is that um he had played so poorly in his rookie year and understandably so um because of what was going on around him that really he fell off the radar now part of that is because he's in jacksonville but second of all people are saying i mean this is this is not good maybe he's not the real deal after all he had really fallen off the map people were starting to wonder about him i mean what is he going to be and and you can believe in that because you have so many great quarterbacks. I mean, you know, and you have all, and they're all in the AFC. I mean, you've got Mahomes and you have Allen, you got Burrow, and you have all these guys playing well. And all of a sudden, he is an afterthought. Yeah. And now he's, you know, he's where we were a couple of years ago. He's where Baker Mayfield was yeah. after beating the Steelers and then going into Kansas City. Yeah. Um, but that, that, do you think, because I do, Doug Peterson took a look at that situation down in Jacksonville and said, okay, you know, he's kind of out of the, he was out of the league, right? Mm-hmm. For, you know, he had a family situation with a brother that mm-hmm. was very ill. He lost his brother. And, you know, they, they have to put themselves emotionally back together after they get fired. But the, he didn't just leap at the job. I think he surmised, I think I got a quarterback here. And I have a hungry owner. Um, I don't have a great fan base. That's not a great fan base down there. I mean, they love Georgia, Florida State, Florida more than they love the Jaguars, okay? These are not the Jaguars of Tom Coughlin, Tony Baselli, Mark Brunel, those guys, all right? This is a much different group. No, I was down there. Um, I was in Tallahassee. We covered Jacksonville a lot. It is a college football market. Right. Um, absolutely. It's I mean, Florida State, Florida, Georgia. the Florida-Georgia game. The cocktail right? party. Yeah. They yeah. would kill a Florida State every plot over yeah. there. They would love it. Um, it's, a, it's a smaller market. It's a huge city land-wise, but in terms of they were banking on – you know, people from Orlando coming up and it, you know, it just doesn't happen. It's a, it's a very small fan base that's that at times feels like it was betrayed, even though they've had a ton of success because yeah. they really have, they played yeah. AFC championship games. They've had a ton of success over the last yeah. 25 years that they've been a franchise yeah. there. I think that to your point on Peterson though, and this is why I was always dubious for Sean Payton going to the chargers, even if it became available. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a head coach in the NFL right now, I'm looking at two things. Ownership and quarterback. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Do I have a guy at quarterback, and do I have ownership who will help me circumvent the cap with with guaranteed money? Do I have an ownership who's willing to spend? If I have those two things, then i got a fighting shot. And I think you're right. I think he looked at Jacksonville and said, I believe in that kid. 
and I know that Shad Khan's going to spend. He's willing to spend what it takes to be successful. Right. So, yeah, I think that's what you're looking at. And I think when well, you talk about Sean Payton, he's interviewing for jobs all over the place. <laughs> By the way, whenever that happens, they got to come up with compensation from New Orleans. That's adequate. But and he will did, look and for he, that. Didn't he say he believes uh, he kind of lays it out to any of the suitors for him? Listen, I think they're going to ask for a mid-first-round pick. Mm-hmm. I think that's what. I think that's what they're looking at. Aren't I've they? heard him say that, Jim. But at the same time, he's undercutting his future. <laughs> like I would think, if I were Sean Payton and I wanted to coach, part of me wonders if he just wants to stick in media for another year and he's using this to keep his I name might. in it. Sure, media yeah. can be a good gig for a couple of years until you find the right spot. Um, if you were going to any of these jobs that are out here, why would you undercut your own future by giving up a one for yourself? Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Yeah. Like I think if I were him, I would go to New Orleans and say, "Look." Katrina, Breeze, save the franchise, maybe. Yeah, you know, absolutely, sure. I've very, done a good very, job. Com- very, very competitive. Probably should have been in a couple of other Super Bowls. Oh, I mean, definitely, right? The one that they the got jobbed out of that. They, you know, yeah. you know, and then the Vikings went in and beat yeah. them in overtime that day. Was it the Rams that got away with yeah, it? Yeah, the pass interference, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, absolutely. Probably should have been in at least two more Super Bowls after that. But I mean, they're in NFC Championship games. Yeah, I mean, he made them incredibly competitive and one of the one of the flag bearing teams in the nfc i mean certainly a team every year you would say hey new orleans could win the nfc um but the the job that doug peterson has done is just unbelievable and really the staple for them it it, it's going to be trevor lawrence but it's been the defense yes don't you think the the way they've played yeah that defense has played incredibly well yep and to the surprise of nobody, uh, at least not to anybody on this show, we talk about all the time, uh, the Spanos family was not going to pay Brandon Staley not to coach. So he's back. Offensive changes happen, yeah. but nobody in the head coaching. So he will stick around there. Uh, I think the other big headliner, I think everything else went as served. Maybe Buffalo was a little closer by Miami than people thought. Um, yeah. And I think Baltimore played Cincinnati tougher than people thought. But third time in a division, I think mm-hmm. that one was a little more justifiable. Um Probably the the well not probably no question based on the fact that thirty million people watched it uh, was <laughs> incredible was isn't that amazing uh, that is amazing you and I know a little bit about uh, people watching and wow. like that number is thirty point like, six million um, the NFL with this super wild card weekend and giving the Monday night game to it has extended it hmm. and it has made it even greater because you're putting together Saturday Sunday and now into a Monday game. With a glamour matchup, at least going in, right? That you have Brady and the Bucks, but you have the Cowboys um, and everything that they bring to the table, whether they play at night or in the morning. I mean, they're going to bring it automatically to you. Does it? So we went through this. I want to get back to the Brady thing in a second, but you brought up the Cowboys. So they had four of the top five broadcasts this year on right. the NFL were the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, really, since 95, have not played a meaningful game in January. I think they got maybe to. Well, they hadn't won a road playoff game since then, so I don't. You know, it's and been a long time. Haven't been really good at home. No, in the no, playoffs. correct. Yeah, so right. I don't even know if they've been to an NFC Championship game in that no. time. They've been largely irrelevant since '95 when they won it. Yeah, and yet they still <laughs> deliver that. Isn't that stunning? It is. it is. I mean, and that's why the America's team. All of it. It's real, have, man. You have to have them. So you've got to have them on Thanksgiving. Okay? Yeah, you're gonna. You got to have the Lions. I get it. It's history. Yep. But you got to have the Cowboys in that 4 o'clock, 4.30 hole. And then I think when these networks go a-bidding for these games, all of them, 
um, you want to have them. You got to get them. And I think probably, you know, with the still the sort of rigid alignment that, you know, Fox has a certain amount of teams, the NFC, CBS gets the AFC, you know, yep. Sunday night gets a premier pick, Monday night now getting a better pick. But I think Fox, having the Cowboys pretty much under their wing, they fight like hell to make sure they that they don't lose them to another to another network or to NBC in a flex situation. And that goes I mean, God almighty, that goes back 50 years. That's Tech Schramm, America's team, <laughs> a right. hole in the ceiling so God can watch. I mean, that's <laughs> yep. that's a long time where that's been, you know, in our culture with all of that. And it's the seeds of that are still bearing fruit all these years. You know, Bo, I was really worried about Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, I didn't think they played well. Mm-mm. I didn't. Th- and I think they have offensive line trouble. They do. So that offensive line that they had fixed. Um, now is banged up. I mean, and you wonder, is it going to be okay now for this weekend? Because it struggled in that game. It goes back to, to have to beat a team twice in a week is brutal. And Browns fans out there, if you're listening, you can remember, it didn't happen here. It didn't work out well for the Browns. The Browns, in a famous game, played the Oilers down at the old stadium Mm -hmm. on the last Sunday. Turned out to be a snow squall Sunday afternoon. And they're losing by 14 points. Don Strock ends up coming off Doral. <laughs> Am I? You're a golf guy. Doral? Yeah, we're, we're all Doral I think they yeah. called him. He was literally the on monster. the golf course at Doral. <laughs> he had a tan bow that would, put, that would make George Hamilton look pale. Okay? They called him up and said, hey, can you come in? You probably won't yeah. play. But can you come in, Jesse? He went, yeah, sure, I'll come up. He ends up playing because Mike Pago gets hurt. Everybody else was hurt. Danielson was hurt. Kozar was hurt. They're down 14 points to Warren Moon, and they have to win to get in. The Browns do. They come back in a blinding snowstorm with Don Strzok leading them, and they get in to the point where they write a song about Don Strzok immediately <laughs> after the game called Strzok Around the Clock. Okay? It's amazing. Now he goes the next Saturday, they are hosting <laughs> the Oilers again. These are the Houston Oilers. Yeah. Okay. They're hosting them with Jerry Glanville. And now they've blown the game on the, on the Sunday before. So six days later, they're back in Cleveland on Christmas Eve to play the Browns again, and the Browns lose yeah. in that game. Marty Schottenheimer's last game as the head coach of the Browns. Ernest Biner's last game as a Brown. He committed two um, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in the game. This oh, no. was in the wake of his fumble sure. from before, and he ended up getting traded then. And it was, and it was. You just said, "Well, they're going to win. They have to win." No, they couldn't. It was really hard for them yeah. to do that. And I, that was going through my mind watching it. Yep. Before Sam Hubbard <laughs> raced 98 yards with that play. What a play. What a play. And a guy who, Sam Hubbard, what a, guy. a lacrosse commit to Notre Dame, one of the best lacrosse players in the country. <laughs> Urban sees him in a gym class playing dodgeball. This is a true story. And says, who's wow, that guy? I did not know that. Says, who's that guy? They go, oh, it's Sam Hubbard. He plays lacrosse, plays safety on the football team. Urban's like, well, I need him. They get him to Columbus. They didn't even know what to do with him. I used to host the coaches' shows with Urban at that time. He would talk about uh, Sam Hubbard every single week because – he would do this as like throwing a bone to a kid who uh-huh. wasn't getting the time that they would expect. Right. And they would talk every week. He's like, I don't know what we're going to do with him. They had him at safety. They had him at outside linebacker, tight end. They finally settled on on defensive end. They got him at Mickey Marotti, the strength coach, said, let's put some weight on him, see if we can make him a D end. <laughs> Worked out pretty good. But he was one of the premier lacrosse players in the country. He's going to go play lacrosse. Played at Moeller, right? Moeller. Moeller, yep. yeah. Yep. Wow. And was identified at a, in a gym class playing dodgeball by yeah. Urban. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's tough to do that. And I think in Cincinnati, they were just survive in advance. Let's get us to Buffalo. Yeah, I, Both I of those teams really banged up. 
on their offensive lines, Buffalo's in the middle of theirs. Right. Yeah. Not great either. I wanted to ask you, yeah. um, as a man who's been around a long time, did you sense in Brady's press conference that was good by Tampa? Because that's what I thought. Minimum, I think it's good by Tampa. Or good by NFL, no, too. No, I think it's good by Tampa. And I think as time goes on, when he does commit again to play, I think you're going to find out that um, – that it was a tough year for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went through a divorce, a very yeah. public divorce. Uh, he left the team, and it was a total mess. Mm-hmm. Left the team in training camp because, obviously, there were fires at home to try and put out. Then he came back to the team. Um, you know, he never really played well. He looked very gaunt all year. And he looked. He had no – even the day here, Bo, he had no zing to him. Mm-mm. And he's a fiery guy out on the field. I mean, he's fiery with his teammates. He's fiery with his coaches if he doesn't mm-hmm. feel like he's getting what he needs as far as plays coming into him. And there was none of that there. Now, you know, still capable of beating the Browns that day, and it was a magnificent day for the Browns to come back and win that game. But I just noticed that all year long – he just didn't have it. He didn't yeah. have that thing. Now, I think he will rejuvenate and, you know, end up somewhere else. Could he go to Vegas, you know, yeah. and, and, and reunite with him? I know, you know, he's always dreamed of being the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers because he yeah. was a Joe Montana, you know, believer and idolizer. I don't know. You know, yeah. but I don't think I think it was good by Tampa. That's how I read it. I, yeah, I think it was. I read it the same way. All right, coming up here in the final hour of the program, we'll take a look at the Browns' offense, take a look back on the season that was through Jim's eyes as he called them all, of course. And then Jim Schwartz at the bottom of the hour, his first press conference here from Berea. We'll have that for you live. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by BallyBet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. For a team of injury lawyers dedicated to every client every day, call 1-800-ELK-OHIO. Elk and Elk's a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Jim Schwartz is going to be introduced here in Berea in about uh, 25 minutes or so, or thereabout. We will have that press conference for you here live on Cleveland Browns Daily. Here with the voice of the Cleveland Browns, the great Jim Donovan joining me here in studio. Uh, before we get to uh, the offense and, and some of the questions, we've talked about the speed receiver that needs to be addressed and uh, perhaps whatever the, the running back room is going to look like and Deshaun Watson and all of that. Um, when you when you look back on the 2022 season, um, it's a complicated look. It, really it, was, is. it was complicated yeah. for us all season long on this show. Uh, I'm sure it was complicated for you calling the games. What what resonates to you when you think about this season? Well, I think it, um, it obviously it had a lot of hurdles to get over before we got to Carolina, which was the opening game of the season, and that was because of the Deshaun Watson story, which – ended up in our laps and mm-hmm. on our ledger because of the move they made. Um, I think what happened as I look back on it, and I think there's a sameness to the year before this past year too, um, and that is that we are in search of the five-game winning streak. Yeah. We have not been able to put together – we have not been able to stack wins in either one of these years. And the math tells you – that if your destination is to get to the playoffs, either by winning the division or getting in as a wild card, you have to have a run at some mm-hmm. point. All of these teams that played this weekend and the other, the, yeah. you know, the teams that are going to get involved uh, coming up, you know, Philadelphia and, and over in the NFC too and in, in, the, in the AFC Kansas City, 
every every one of those teams, including the teams that just got in the last weekend, they had a run. You know, even Jacksonville won like seven games yeah. or something like that. The Giants, we were unable to do that. Now, we had points where you said, okay, here we go. And when the schedule comes out every year, we all look at that and play the schedule game and say, okay, there's a cluster of games right here, maybe three in a row at home, and two of them are in the division. That's when we got to be ready to go to make a run. And we have been un- unable to do that. We are in search of the five-game winning streak. So we are really in search of playing consistent winning football. Now, we have flashes, mm-hmm. and both years it's kind of come at the expense of the Bengals. The win to, you know, a couple of years yeah. ago in Cincinnati, a very complete win. But the next week you went out and got blown out in New England. The win against Cincinnati this year – one of the most perfect games that you'll see the Browns play, oh. certainly defensively. One of the most amazing tackling performances I can remember the Browns having. You could put a teaching tape together on the way they played defensively and how they tackled in that game. But they were unable then to do anything on the other side of that. So if you can't do that, I just don't think you're going to get there. You have to come up with the ability to stack wins. The really good teams do it. And then the teams that are kind of surprising but get in, if you trace their their season, they have put together that run, whether it's in the middle of the season or early in the season or right at the end of the year, which is difficult to do at the end of the year. And I just see that we have not been able to do that. So then it breaks down into a week-by-week process and what happens every week, you know, what gets away from us. I think think it's it's contagious, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, You show up, and this is what we do. We're the Cleveland Browns. We yeah. show up. We take yeah. care of business. We yeah. get a win. On to the next. Yeah. And you win and the games And one might be to. prettier than yeah. the next one. But even in the year they made the playoffs, okay, Kevin's first year, got to remember, they got off to a really good start. Despite mm-hmm. losing the first game to Baltimore, they right. went on a little run then. And if they did, and remember now, he did not, and they did not, lose two in a row at any point that season. Yeah. Okay? And that's important, too. But we have not been able to do that the last two years, and we were not able to do it certainly this year. Some of the more, um, yes, yeah, I don't, you know, don't mean to tear the the bandaid off again, but sometimes when you're trying to figure out what you need to fix in the next year, you got to look back on some of the things that went wrong. And this seems like a crazy question to ask, and there might not even be the correct answer to it. But I, I always come back to, um, can you teach clutch? Yeah. How do you, how do you do it? Is it something that's earned? Is it something that's learned? Is it something that you acquire over time? Yes. But we were anti-clutch. Yeah. And there were so many instances where just a little bit of clutch and you get Absolutely. that win and just when the pressure was at its highest would fold. Yeah. In in many instances. And how do you fix that in an off season? Yeah. I think what happened too was um and it happened very early obviously. Now, they got out of jail in the opening game against Carolina. Yeah. Okay. And the thing everyone's going to remember is Cade York hitting a 58-yard field goal. But remember, they blew a pretty good lead before that yep. with all of those things that we talked about earlier. I, oh, I thought you covered them. Yep. I did. No, you, I had them? No, I thought you had them. So that was week one. But as you mentioned, a Band-Aid situation. We put a Band-Aid over that, um, and we were just ecstatic because we finally won the opening game which we hadn't done since 2004. And the kid hit a field goal of 58 yards, and it was one of the moments uh, of, the, of the opening weekend. But then that next week, it happened again, and we yeah. paid the ultimate price and lost that game. Then I think it's in your mind, can mm. we finish? Yeah. And you're right. There was, you needed a clutch. Clutch was recovering the onside kick. Mm. 
never mind the 75-yard pass play, okay? <laughs> Just recover the onside kick, yeah. and, and then we're out of there. You know, clutch is, okay, we didn't recover the onside kick. Let's make a play defensively. Let's get Flacco, or let's stop the, the rookie receiver from Ohio State. You know, let's stop him. But we, we weren't able to do yeah. that. And then I think, Bo, it builds that can we finish you know, are you know? All right, the Charger game. Can we finish that game? You know, all right, we got the ball back because of a brain freeze by them going on fourth down. Idiotic. Let's make them pay. We got to a point where we looked like we could get a sizable field goal, a makeable field goal to do. And sucks. Suddenly we're in. You know, he's kicking like a sixty-yard attempt. So I think that clutch thing. You're right. I mean, I yeah. think when you do it, and then you finally start doing it more, it's kind of like muscle memory. You know, but it is. But also on the other side, if you're not doing it, it will continue until you put your foot on the brake and stop it. Yeah, yeah. And do you, I, do you, do you I, see what I, I'm I totally about? see? What yeah. you, and I, you try to, you've been trying to put your head around that. And how do you? I think winning is just the only thing that does it. Like you just have to start winning those type of games. Absolutely. And you have to, you know, and that's where I think Watson can come into play next year. Is you look over and see him now fully formed with the full off season going. We got four. We got a chance. That's that's the hope. That's why he got what he got. That's why you gave up to get him. I I go back to it's interesting. A lot of people point to the Jets as as the game where it felt like, oh my God. To me, it was New England here. Yeah, because that I have to one. tell you, I you going into that game, and you're playing Bailey, Bailey Zappi, and they, you know they're good, and they're very they were good, and they were very good defensively that day. But still. You're at home, yeah. and you just have to think that you're going to take care of matters. Now, even though the game gets off to a, just the worst kind of start mm-hmm. through an early pick, like on the second play of the yeah. game. and But you recover. You have plenty of time to recover from that. But they never could recover. And, um, yeah, that, that New England game was – that, to me, I kind of thought going into that week, they're going to beat these guys. Yep. You know, they'll beat these guys. And they'll definitely beat this quarterback. Um, and they didn't. And New England came in – really and played the perfect game against them the perfect road game to come in and win now that's the other thing but we're gonna have to learn how to win on the road sure and we're gonna have to learn how to go over to pittsburgh and win Mm -hmm. we're gonna have to go into baltimore and learn how to win and it's gonna be loud and it's gonna be dicey and you can have a lead and it's gonna be challenged but you have to dig in and be able to do that i think a year ago cincinnati grew up in baltimore mid-season they went over there it was a tight first half, and they might have been losing at halftime at M&T, and then they came out and blew them out yep. in the second half of that game, and off they went. I couldn't agree with yeah. you more. Um, if in the New, it felt like Belichick had the answers to the test in the, in the New England game. <laughs> here is what it quite frankly felt like. But I think I think your point is is the right one, which brings us to one of the questions Gibe wants to ask, which is, what do you need to see from Deshaun Watson in the second season? Well, what you need to see is what Joe Burrow gives Cincinnati. Uh, that's that's what you need to see. You need to see Deshaun Watson elevate a franchise up. Now, you, we talked to Joe about this. He's staying here this offseason, Jim. Yeah. Joe couldn't requ- remember a Browns quarterback staying in town in the offseason since Brian Hoyer. Brian's from here. Right. Um, so, other than that, they flee. They leave. Yeah. It's tough. It's gray in the winters here. We get it. But Deshaun's sticking around. Uh, I think he understands Missing 700 days was a real thing. Mm. There's a lot of rust to that. Um, I'm finally getting to play. Something that meant a lot to me was taken away for a couple of years. 
Um, but that's job one, is it not? I mean, we can talk about defensive tackle and fast receivers and all of this. Mm-hmm. You need to see consistently Deshaun Watson look like the type of player that he was in Houston, the type of player that you gave all that money to. He is the least of my worries, and I'll yeah. tell you why. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to him. His media day was typically Thursday every mm-hmm. week, and he didn't duck anything. No. And, and I'm not talking about his life situation. I am talking about his football situation. He totally understands and, and doesn't hide behind it why he was brought here and paid that very rich sum to win. And it's not just to win a few games. I mean, he's here to win, win the division, win in the playoffs, win a Super Bowl. And he comes right out and says it. I mean, he, you know, he says that. I mean, hey, yeah. listen, I you know, I was brought here to win, and we got, I got to get this team to the Super Bowl. And you know, Bo, there were times where I felt really good with him, and I felt really good the day they beat Baltimore here, thirteen to three, and how he guided them. You know, he managed the clock, mm-hmm. he managed the offense, he got them into the right play. He got Chubb, he got Hunt, he yep. ran the clock out. Even in the brutal game on Christmas Eve, where he had a rough patch, and and they're losing the last drive, he was very good. Now they weren't very good with him. Mm-hmm. They, you know, and Joku should have caught a ball on the goal line. Yeah. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones had a better shot than a lot of people give him credit for in the left corner of the end zone. But he got them down the field. This is crunch time. This is the gotta-have-it drive. And that's what I think you're talking about, clutch. That is. That's clutch. Yeah. And I think he, all the mechanics are there. It's just sharpening those up. He is the least of my worries. He is a guy who you could make a pretty clear and concise and I think accurate argument that he is the most important uh, from a from in terms of what he did at university, college football player the last 10 or 15 yeah. years. I mean, he put Clemson on a map. Absolutely. He played Bama in two straight national title games. He was the best player in both of those games. He was. He, was, he got drafted to Houston to save a franchise. He did that, uh, made them a playoff team, became one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, did all of those things. So he's had this – he's had massive on him really his whole playing career. And so if you go back prepared. to yeah, and if you go back to his last year in Houston, and they were terrible, yeah, okay, and and we knocked them off that that year, but he was unbelievable that year. His, I mean, that was those were his best numbers, weren't they that year? I mean, you know, he, what did he have seven interceptions? He had like thirty-seven touchdowns, you know, in 4, the season, hundred yards. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was unbelievable that year. That was in a four-win season where they had no running backs. I mean, against us, the yeah. only running back they had was Duke Johnson. Yeah, you know, in that right. in that game that day. Other than that, on a on a bad weather day, he he was single handedly keeping them in the game to a point where they could have won the game. I mean, you know, they're they're right there with us that day, and we were certainly the better team on that game. But that was in a four win year. Yeah. I mean, you know, he didn't mail it in. So I think he realizes and it has identified perfectly why he is here. Yeah. He's here to win. So and if it means staying here during the off season. I think he was very, very serious in his last meeting with the media after the Pittsburgh game the next day when he said, hey, listen, I'm going to be with Kevin a lot, and we're going to figure this whole thing out. Yeah. The offense. We can talk about speed receiver, uh, and, and that's a must. Yeah. That's the number oh, one absolutely. checklist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but him and Kevin this offseason, the path there, yeah. that's the operation. Right. And they're absolutely. both too smart and too committed for it not to work. True. All right, coming up here shortly, we will have Jim Schwartz at the podium. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by BallyBet, coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
All right, Jim Schwartz going to be introduced here in Bree in about five minutes or so. The pedigree here, the resume here, pretty impressive. Special defensive assistant with the Titans last year. Five-year stretch in Philly that includes a Super Bowl championship. Sorry for your Boston uh, native, Mr. Donovan. Of course, one of those ones being or that Super Bowl over over. Uh, speaking of that, was twenty that that was twenty eighteen. I think was yeah, twenty eighteen. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Uh, so when they get that. Been through a lot of therapy, and I'm on the the other end of that. Well, you have six Super Bowls that allow you to sleep at night, so that helps. Uh, Buffalo coordinator in 14, Lions head coach 9-13. to But uh, in terms of his reputation, of course, we talked about his his start here as a pro and college scout from 93 to 95, uh, but really it's in Tennessee where he really blossoms, 01 to 08, some of those really successful teams uh, and really great defenses under Jeff Fisher. So uh, that's what you're going to get. Just ask Tim Couch. Oh, first start. I think really first series, Javon Curse Oof. killed him. Safety, two nothing Tennessee. Boy, that was a squad, right? Curse and Hainsworth. Hainsworth and yeah, they had all those. Eddie guys. George could run it offensively. Oh, and McNair, yeah, yeah, really good team. So he's on that team that played for a Super Bowl. He was there for twelve years uh, before moving on. All sorts of talented players there. You mentioned Hainsworth and uh, Javon Curse and uh, Kevin Carter was another one on that That's defensive right. line. Yeah. Was a, Didn't they have the linebacker Bullock and they had all yep. of those guys? Yeah, they did absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah Keith Bullock on that defense. So uh, and that is a a pattern of his defenses. It's really been the defensive line play. Uh, we mentioned that in in uh, Detroit as well with Ndamukong and Sue and some yeah, of the defenses right. he yeah. had there. Uh, you mentioned Fletcher. Fletcher Cox and those Eagles defenses, uh, he demands a lot out Remember, of the defensive Remember, on that Philadelphia one, it was Fletcher Cox, and they got the, the guy Hargraves yes. from Pittsburgh, and yep. those two on the inside yep. were murder. Yeah. Um, Marcel Darius, as you mentioned, I mean, there's a ton. It's a ton. If, if you're a Browns fan out there listening today in a couple of minutes, what do you want to hear from Jim Schwartz? I think you want to hear, um, you know, what he wants to do defensively, what uh, maybe he'll, you know, kind of let you in on what he wants to do. I mean, he's kind of a fourth. He's a pretty basic guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying he's meat and potatoes, but uh, meat and potatoes might not be bad here. Um, but I think he's a basic 4-3 guy, man coverage on the outside. You know, let your players – Put them in a, you know, you're going to get that. I'm going to put my good players in a position to make plays. But I think intensity is what you want to hear. Yeah. You know, we mentioned accountability and accountability. I I think, yeah, yeah. intensity, accountability, those type of things uh, from Jim Schwartz. It feels like they're in his nature. I think so. Every, every time he's been here, you outlined earlier in the show uh, his time here under Belichick from <laughs> 93 to 95 where they were in that kind of coaching incubator. Right. Um, and I imagine that this will be an emotional press conference for him in that standpoint of, of coming full circle. Yeah, because he's kind of been on the outside, you know, a couple of times, yep. you know, in their plans or in their in their scope of when they were going to make hires here. And, and now he's finally come back. Yeah, and it. We referenced this to Belichick earlier in the show. Uh, there is a reverence for people who have been here. Once you get here, it's infectious, the history, all of it. You can feel it. The building drips of it. Like You can feel that you're walking on streets that Otto Graham walked or Jim Brown or Dante Lavelli or whoever. Like yeah. It's all there. It's yeah. omnipresent. Um, and so I, I think this will be a special one for, for Jim Schwartz. Uh, the job is a big one because this is a ready-made now football team that needs to contend in an AFC that is an absolute snake pit. 
Yeah, you know, Bowen, I think that's why maybe you know, where they went with a guy like Jim Schwartz who knows how to get it done, and he is a now guy. I yep. mean, he's he's ready to go. Sure, you can find this the next young defensive mind out there, yep. um, and, and I think they interview candidates that fall into that kind of category that, hey, they probably are on the climb to the point where they should be a coordinator. But this thing's ready to go. The window's been open here now, and you don't want it to close on you, and you've found that your defense hasn't performed to the way it needs to be and the way you want it to be, and so you've got to do something about it. And it has to happen right away. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a crazy thing because it's a win now, but it's, all, it's also a win now in a shark pool, because or a shark tank, if you will, because the AFC is loaded. And so defensively, you're going to have to come up with, if you're going to claim the ultimate prize, which – Jim Schwartz has done in Philly, you're going to have to take care of Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow in your division yeah, twice a year. And who knows right. what's going to happen That's in right. Baltimore, Josh Allen in Buffalo. You're still going to have Herbert out West. Like the AFC has never been as talented or as deep as it is right now. So you're jumping into it, both feet in. Yeah. And of course you don't know what's going to happen in the draft with you these, don't. you know, with these other guys coming in. There's no doubt about that. Um, so, I mean, you look at uh, the situation that he has here right now. And I think that, uh, you know, this is a perfect spot, and I think that they really did a great job. I go back to the search. I mean, they were ready to go with the guys yeah. that they wanted to interview and, um, you know, tactically went right after it and then got the hire. Because really, folks, it's it will get fast and furious here in a couple of days. As soon as somebody, you know, gets the green light and they start filling out staffs with head coaches who then need to fill out their staff, um, that will be the other interesting thing, Bart. Does, does he bring staff with him? I believe we have our answer that we're coming quickly here. Uh, there's your coach, Kevin Stefanski, walking down. Jim Schwartz as well. Some other luminaries as they head down uh, to the uh, to the podium to have the press conference. That'll be here in just a couple of minutes. Jim looking great. Really good shape. It's a huh? great shape. You know, huh? I wanted to just bring this up. You know, in the last two yep. years when he went back to Tennessee, he has – now he's not a coordinator there, okay, but he was a set of extra eyes that Mike Vrabel trusted yes. with his defense – and statistically, they've really improved. Now, their problems at the end of the year were offensive yep. and at, certainly at the quarterback position. But everywhere he goes, I mean, the defense is not the problem. No. It is sometimes the highlight, the reason why you're in a big game. And that is, it's interesting because that all goes back to that Belichick tree, right? Yeah. When you think about Vrabel and who can I trust, Schwartz was with Belichick 30 <laughs> right. years ago, like all of that stuff starts to add up. So so this this is an exciting time to be a Browns fan and for this defense to get sorted out in short order. Jim Schwartz will be in charge of that. He will be at the podium here, I promise you, I would think in about 10 seconds as he just walked yeah. by this us This is here, like so. the State of the Union where the, really guy, is. Where the guy comes to the door and goes, the, the President of the United States! <laughs> We're like David Brinkley up yeah, here. Yeah, really. I feel like we're on him. the West Wing. It really is. Great show, by the way. <laughs> the best. Maybe the best. The best. It's yep. really up there. Here's Jim Schwartz. Respect for, <laughs> uh, we did not know each other personally really before this process, but we have a lot of mutual friends, and, and I've admired his career from afar. Uh, has done it at a high level, uh, at multiple stops, uh, and just pleased that, that he's, I, we really believe he's the guy to lead our defense, and we're excited to add him to our staff, excited to add him to the organization, and, and the wealth of knowledge that he can bring to this group, including myself. So excited to announce Coach Schwartz, and, and the floor is Coach Schwartz's now. You're going to have to give me just a quarter of a second here when I see Dino's picture on the back wall right there. Um, yeah, um, Dino, Dino set up me from buying my first ever sofa 
in the uh, in the NFL. I had finally got on full time with the with the Browns, and I was trying to furnish an apartment other than stuff that was at the dumpster. And um, um, and he he sent me up with um, what was old glue fingers. Dante Lavelle had a had a furniture shop, and uh, I, I went down and and got a sofa that somebody had like ordered and then didn't like when they took delivery and it was sitting he sold it to me for nothing but uh yeah dino dino meant a lot to me early in my career he used to sit out and practice and talk to him and it's awesome to see his name up here and um and to come full circle that way so anyway sorry sorry for that uh, personal note uh, i'm tom withers from the ap welcome back thank you um yeah what did those few years here with the browns um do in terms of kind of a stepping stone into your, into your NFL career? Well, I coached in college for four years before, and I'd, um, you know, I, I grew up in Baltimore. I was a blue-collar kid. My parents didn't go to college. We were NFL fans. We weren't college football fans. So in the back of my mind, I always wanted, always aspired to the NFL, but trying to get in was, you know, a, a different story. Um, you know, so, so being able to get here, I started off as an unpaid intern, and I was – um, driving people to the airport, and I was um, getting cigarettes for secretaries and um, filing papers. But I also got to be a fly on the wall and listen to Bill Belichick and Nick Saban and Scott O'Brien and Kirk Ferentz and, gosh, you name it. Um, just, it was just unbelievable. And I was young. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a family. I lived here at the office. And um, even though I have a degree from Georgetown, I got my degree in footballology. I mean, Ph.D. in footballology from um, from the Browns and from Bill Belichick, and it was just awesome. I was in mainly in scouting, but we wore a lot of different hats. And um, as long as you had a good work ethic and you were willing to learn and you could keep your mouth shut, you could learn an awful lot. And I was pretty good at all three of those things. Um, it really made a difference. It it took me a long time. It probably took me ten years in the NFL to become an overnight sensation, um, but the years that I spent here um, was was the basis for everything that happened to me later. And, you know, whether it was my exposure to football operations or scouting or, you know, talking about Dino with, Dino, uh, with media or, you know, anything else, um, you know, it, it all went back to the three years that I spent in this building. The building's changed a whole lot, but, um, you know, I think the ghosts have all stayed here. How did you uh, get introduced to Belichick? Who set that interview up? Yeah, Steve did. I was at Colgate. I was coaching linebackers as a limited earnings coach. Um, and uh, one of our coaches had coached at Navy. And um, he knew I wanted to get into the NFL. And we were at the coaches convention one year, and Steve Belichick was there. And he introduced me to Steve. And um, Steve introduced me to Bill. And it lasted about, you know, a conversation with Bill. It lasted about five seconds. Hi, nice to meet you. And that was it. And then maybe four or five months later, I got a call asking me to come in for an unpaid internship. And, um, you know, that was sort of, I say, my biggest break. But I was very fortunate to be in that position and fortunate to be in a building that had so much talent. You know, you don't know it at the time that, you know, Nick Saban's going to go on to be maybe the greatest ever college football coach and Bill Belichick going to be maybe the greatest ever NFL football coach and you know just all those other guys but 
again, if you had a sharp pencil and um, kept your mouth shut, kept your ears open, you could learn an awful lot, and um, and I did. So I had really no relationship with anybody other than Steve, who said, um, you know, a guy I worked with at Navy recommended this guy. I think you should talk to him, and you know, that's that was my connection. For years, did they ever pay you while you were here? Oh yeah, work? yeah. My first year, I worked for free. Lived at the end of the airport runway over there. So I couldn't sleep in, and I couldn't go to bed too soon. I just got used to the trains again last night. Blow, blow that, blow that horn after over every crossing. I got to get, I got to get used to that again. Um, but it was a great, it was a great experience for a young coach, a young professional in the NFL. Um, you know, your your focus again. It was like grad school. It was like a PhD program. Every waking moment was about the club and just. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever told Nick this story, but when when Nick went off to be the head coach at Michigan State, um, I helped him pack up his office. And back then, you were packing these big, thick playbooks and all this different stuff. Well, anyway, um, Nick left one of his binders. I think it was maybe from the '92 season. He left after the '94 season, I think. And it had all. And Nick was meticulous, just fabulous coach and pre preparation basically all 16 games and his notes from beginning of the week to end of the week and his post-game notes and it was all right there and he had just left it behind because you know he had the other two years well I sort of grabbed that and had it and and I tell you what I, I can't tell you how much I referred to that over my years particularly my first years as a coordinator and just trying to copy the the process that Nick went through and um, you know, looked and, and see the way it wasn't, it, it didn't matter what opponent it was or what schemes, it was more about the process. And, um, yeah, so how, how did that question get started? I, f I forget, I'm sorry, I, I can. Oh, yeah, yeah, so my first year I made nothing. Um, and then, yeah, I think I think by the time I was done, I was up to about 20,000 a year. So I was, I was feeling good about myself. I was feeling good, I was feeling good about myself at the end. Jim, um, my name's Nate Ulrich. I'm with the Akron Beacon Journal. Um, I worked with Marla Reidenauer for a long time, like so many of us did. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, her, one of, she would kill me if I didn't ask you about this. So, uh, she, one of her favorite NFL stories is um, you talking about Bill and the turkey sandwich. Oh, God. That has to come up. Um, Have you thought about that at all? And uh, Yeah, Bill doesn't like that story. So, um yeah, I mean, it's for, you, for you guys that don't know. So I get hired as an unpaid intern. It's minicamp. And you know, minicamp is like Tuesday through Friday. But sort of the old thing back then was on Friday, um, on Thursday, you called the team up and said, hey, look, if we have a good practice today, you guys are off tomorrow. And then they all go out and give it the heroic effort. And everybody be gone. Well, my plane ticket, I had just been hired like a couple of days before. And I'm picking up guys at the airport, shuttling them back, and I'm checking off names at lunch and all that stuff. And my flight doesn't go back until like, you know, whatever, nine o'clock on Friday night. So it's a ghost town here. There is nobody here. This whole building is empty. Everybody's gone fishing for the summer, but I got nothing else to do. So I'm here. And back then they used to have kitchens that had food. And, uh, you know, I sort of root through it's the middle of the afternoon and, and I root through and there's some turkey and I'd make a tur nice little turkey sandwich, use the, the rest of the turkey and I get my little crackers and have my drink and I'm sitting there now. I, the whole day I hadn't seen a soul. There was not one person in the building the entire day. It's just me. 
put my little pictures up on my little cubicle area. I didn't even have an office. It was like a desk. And just as I'm, just as I'm biting into this turkey sandwich, in comes Bill. And it was obvious he had been working the whole day, but he was holed up in his office. And I said, I'd barely even met him. I'm just having my turkey sandwich. And, and uh, he's, you know, just gives it, you know, the, hey, how's it going? Well, you know, I'm fine, coach. You know, so I'm, I'm doing this. And he goes, opens the refrigerator and starts, like, opening the drawers and looking. And he looks over at me. He goes, hey, you seen the turkey? And I was like, I just used the last of it, coach. And, uh, you know, and he just sort of gives me this, you know, this, this, this bad look and just shakes his head and says something under his breath and leaves. And I'm just like, I, I called home afterwards. It's like, hey, my flight arrives at 930 and I might not have a return flight after that. But I don't know that it, 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 and it the interesting part of that whole story was how how much attention to detail bill had with everything that went on in the building and what his work ethic was everybody else was gone and i'm sure bill could have been off to nantucket the next day but he he was grinding out that next day and um it was important that you know there was food in there for guys that were working and you know all all that stuff was just you know you know, you, you learn about cover two and you learn about blitz and you learn about formation tendencies and all that stuff. But just those those kind of things I've carried probably with me a little bit longer in my career. Every little thing that touches the team, every little thing you do matters. And a lot of times it's the work behind the scenes that means the most. You know, it's not it's not, you know, working where everybody can see you. It's those times where, you know, where, where you're alone in your office and you don't think there's anybody else there. Um, you know that's that, that's the that's the stuff that makes a difference. Back in the building since the end of the '95 season. Yeah, I've been back. I've been back a few times. Um, it's changed quite a bit, obviously. Uh, um, you know, it changed changed. Um, I guess in '90, when did the team come back? 2000, '99. Um, it changed then. It's changed a lot now. I mean, the, the outside thing looks the same. The footprint seems about the same, but. I'm still, you know, tonight, I just I just got here last night, and um, probably tonight, about 8 o'clock at night when everybody's gone, I'm going to walk around the building probably a dozen times and try to figure figure my way around so I can I get a little bit of ease of operation. It's a, it's a great facility. I've been around a bunch of them. Um, it's a great facility. It makes it easy to be able to do your work as a coach, and um, it's done. It's... Um, it's it's really a, it's, it's a tribute to ownership, the capital improvements they've made um, for not just the coaches, but for the players. And I don't know about you guys, but it just seems like it's 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 a good place to come to work, and it makes it easy to do your job. Is this job attractive to you? Why did you want to come out of what they you know kind of described as sort of semi-retirement? Yeah, well, a couple of years ago, I had some health issues, my thyroid. Not to bore you guys, and probably maybe not for too much for. Um, for print, but my thyroid went kaput a couple of years ago, and it took it took the greater part of about 18 months to get my numbers to where they needed to be, and it's it's well controlled. But like I, I went through a year, I could couldn't sleep more than two hours. I I would, was either too hot or too cold. My poor wife, I'd freeze her out with the air condition, and then walk around with a winter coat on, and you know the next day, and I had some eye surgeries because of some vision stuff due to it. But as soon as we got the numbers straight, that's a little bit of a moving target. Anyway, boring. Um, once I got that straightened out, 
um, I, I just couldn't. I, I had one doctor tell me one time, I said, like, look, I get really wicked headaches from watching film because I got some double vision. And his solution was, well, don't watch so much film. And I, cu- I couldn't, well, I, I couldn't cheat the game. You know, I could I couldn't cheat the game. I couldn't give I couldn't give a, a substandard performance. It was it wasn't fair to the organization. It wasn't fair to the players. It wasn't fair to the the other guys on the coaching. Uh, it was a very difficult decision. But I'd step away, and you know, and 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 the Titans and Mike Vrabel were very gracious to give me an opportunity to still contribute while I was you know sort of dealing with that stuff. But you know, I feel good. I'm I'm ready to go again. Um, attractive here. I think it always starts with ownership. I've seen a lot of different ownerships, but I appreciate hands-on ownership. I appreciate owners that are um, that are willing to make um, the improvements slash capital um, improvements in order to be successful. I see that here, um, you know. And then you just start. You know, I had a little bit of a relationship with Andrew Barry. Um, from Philadelphia and knew the way he thought and how smart he was and his long-range vision, um, you know. And, and when he was in Philly, I used to, in the back of my mind, I don't know that I ever told him this. It'll probably be news to him, but I always had in the back of my mind, you're like, man, that's that's a, that's a guy I'd like to work with again. And that's sort of my idea of a GM, you know, just unflappable. You know, the same all the time, didn't get too high, didn't get to, you know, us coaches, we can get emotional. You know, it's hard to wear a loss. Um, sometimes we get a little too high after a win, but that's not Andrew. I mean, he's straight down the middle, and I have a lot of respect for that consistency and things like that. And then and then with, with Kevin, you know, I mean, we had met each other over the years and gone head-to-head a couple times, but really the biggest, my attraction with him was – we came up the same way in the NFL. You know, he started from the bottom like I did and worked his way up incrementally um, over the time. And I have a lot of respect for that. I have a lot of guys that can persevere through some tough times and they don't feel like they're advancing as quick as other people are, but they just do the work. You know, they just do the work and they get ready. And, um, you know, when it came his time to be a coordinator, he shined and all that work paid off. And when he came, head coach, he shined, and all that hard work paid off. So I have a lot of respect for that. And um, you know, I think if if any of those three hadn't been in place, maybe it wouldn't have been attractive. But those those three pieces made it a very attractive job. Um, you know, not just for me, but I think around the league. Do you think you can get two or three sacks out of Miles Garrett? Well, um, we're going to work real hard at it, and he's going to play his part. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate over my over my career to be blessed with some really good defensive linemen, and uh, we run a very D-line friendly scheme that eliminates a lot of um, conflict for those guys. And um, we 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 were able to play guys off of that, and we sort of let those guys go and be disruptive. And I know this over the course of my career i've I've talked to a lot of offensive coaches I've talked to a lot of quarterbacks over the years and um the 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 way you affect the game the most in this league is by pass rush and you know it's hard to win in coverage you know the rules have changed they make it hard to put hands on guys illegal contacts i you know i c t d h you know d p i all those things it's it's hard, and these guys, these wide receivers are freak shows. But, um, 
you know, you can still win one-on-one on pass rush, and um, a devastating pass rush goes a long way. You can create turnovers off a of pass rush. And if you can rush with four, it allows your blitz game to be so much more effective because you start blitzing on your terms as opposed to on the offense's terms. You know, you, you don't have to blitz just to get pressure. You can blitz based on the situation, based on the personnel, as opposed to being forced to blitz to get pressure. And, you know, whether going back my first years in Tennessee of having Javon Curse and Kevin Carter and then Haynesworth and Vandenbosch and all those guys in between and, you know, the guys I had in Detroit and Buffalo, man, we had a, we had a crowd in Buffalo. You know, Philly just ended up having four double-digit sackers. I think we would have if Kyle Williams, Kyle Williams missed, I think, three or four games with a high ankle. Um, he was our – like we had three double-digit sackers up front. We hardly ever had the blitz to get pressure. Um, you know, Philadelphia, we based it the same way. So um, we're going to put a lot of emphasis on pass rush. And uh, Miles is a guy that is a guy, you know, um, when I was when I was in Detroit, we always knew that every defensive plan started with how do we keep Calvin Johnson from taking this game over, right? That was job one. How do we keep that? And then it allowed you to play it different ways, and, you know, you knew they were going to do stuff to take him away. But, you know, I think that every offense we'll play will probably start with that. How do we how do we neutralize Miles Garrett, and how do we keep him from wrecking this game? And it's it's my job to give him some answers and to be able to put some pieces scheme-wise and personnel-wise um, around him to allow him to be free and more productive. Next and, and, and when I say more productive, what, 14, 14 and a half seconds? So yeah, yeah, okay, well, I stand corrected. Yeah, that, that, and, and that, that answers your question. The bar is set really high for a good reason. So. To the next position, Jim, what do you need out of linebackers, body size? I mean, there's a lot made about the, the weight of some of these guys here. Do you need a bigger body linebacker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've played with a lot of different style guys over the time. I think the things that make the most um, difference when it comes to linebackers is instincts and communication ability and um, explosiveness. Um, I played with some guys that have been in their low 220s. In, in Tennessee, David Long is outstanding. He's 215 pounds. You know, th- there have been plenty of guys in the NFL that played light. You know, go back to Derek Brooks and you know, remember him coming out as he a safety as a linebacker and, um, you know, but he just was a cobra and he could strike. And, you know, I've seen some 250-pound guys that that um, didn't have a physical presence on the field. And I've seen some guys in their 215s or 220s that did. But I think it falls to the other things. It comes from toughness and inst- instincts and um, explosiveness and the ability to play fast and think quick. And I would say this, I've had, I've had a lot of defenses over the years and since 2001, and, you know, some of them have been real good. Not all of them have. But the thing I've taken the, the most pride from is when, when people say that we play fast and aggressive. Now, again, okay, I'm sitting up here. There's, there's not one defense coordinator that's going to come up and say we want to play slow, slow and soft. You know, hey, look, we're look, we're looking to be dumb, slow, and soft. You know, everybody wants to be smart, fast, and 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 physical, but it just doesn't happen. There's there, there's a way that you can facilitate that, and I've I've sort of learned that over the years. And 
you know, if, if you see our linebackers here, um, if I'm doing a good job, they're, they're playing fast and physical and, um, you know, there's not a lot of hesitation in their play. And when, when that's all said and done, it doesn't matter if they're 200 pounds or 250 pounds. Let's not get above 250. Let's try to keep it. Let's try to keep it below that. I'm Ashley Bastock with Cleveland.com. I wanted to ask you about um, your staff and your philosophy when it comes to building a staff. What are you looking for, and, and how quickly do you hope to move on that? Well, it's not my staff. It's Kevin's staff, and and he's hired me to be the defense coordinator. Um, you know, so that, that's that's all I can really say there. I've had over the years, um, I've had jobs like when I got hired in Philadelphia um, as defense coordinator. I was the last guy hired. And I had never worked with any of the coaches before. We got up to speed pretty quickly and, and, and flipped that defense pretty quickly and won the Super Bowl the next year. Um, you know, Buffalo was similar. Um, I've also had where I've had a lot of input. And so I've done it a lot of different ways. But, you know, when it's all said and done, that's, you know, that, that's, that's, that's Kevin's job along with Andrew, along with uh, the Haslam's. Um, they're they're the people that are making staffing decisions, decisions, not me. My job, I would say this: like there is a there is a player component to coaching players. I think I'm pretty good at coaching coaches into what they're being asked to do and and how it fits in with what we're going to do. Um, I think I've developed that over the years. I wasn't always good at it. I was probably pretty crappy at it early, but you know, as as you do it for a while, you get good at. Um, at that and and being able to coach the coaches into what we we do and maybe it's a little different than they've done before, um, you know I think that uh, I can I can bring that to the equation. But I'd let I'd let Kevin answer, ask or, or answer those other questions. How, how how familiar are you with the defensive roster here and how much research did you do prior to the interview? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, it, it happened pretty quickly after the season, so I probably didn't do as much. But I, I, I looked at enough games, I think, that I had at least of a little opinion of of what happened. But um, you know, I was I was in Tennessee last year, so we'll keep a we'll keep an open mind, we'll keep an open slate, and um, you know what we'll do and what players will play will really be dependent on how they will do in the off-season program and what they look like in OTAs and how we develop in training camp. It's not going to be based on what happened last year. I'm Bailey Burmaster, Cleveland 19 News. I'm curious how you approach communication and accountability, especially when maybe there's conflict within players who may not agree with philosophy or an angle you take. Uh, how do you view those? Well, I, I think that all starts with trust. You know, and and players. I've said this. I've said this over the years. Players really don't care if you're young, old, if you're black, white, if you're loud, if you're quiet. If you can help them, they'll listen. And if they know you're coming from an an honest spot and you're telling them the truth, they might not like what you say, but um, but they'll take it because they know that you know it's it's coming from a performance base and it's coming from the truth. So establishing trust is 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 job one. Um, you know, so so that's probably the biggest thing, um, being able to being able to put things that they do in perspective, even historical um, perspective, and be able to say, hey, look, this worked for this player in the in the past. I think this can help. Um, you know, so I, I think that that kind of communication um, 
you know, is important when it when it comes to you know dealing with players, and and again, it's stuff that you learn over the years. Um, you know, um, may rest in peace. But the guy I learned the most from and how to handle players and how to deal with players was Gunther Cunningham. And I worked with Gunn. Um, Gunn was my linebacker coach when I was in Tennessee, my first year as a coordinator. And, you know, just watching I mean, he had been a head coach. He had been a coordinator. And just watching the way that, you know, he could just lay waste to a guy and then turn around and walk off the field and be, and be laughing and hugging the guy. Because it was all performance to gun, you know, I had nothing to do with you know, you, you know, knowing his wife or his kids, and the guys knew that, and they took a lot of, I don't know to say solace isn't the right word, but they took a lot of confidence in the fact that he was, you know, it was it was business, you know, it, it didn't have any, and he he wasn't, you know, he wasn't he wasn't going to pull a punch because it was a, a favorite player, and he wasn't going to be hard on a guy because you know he he maybe didn't like the guy as much. You know, it was about performance and um, just that way that, that he had. I learned an awful lot. I've learned a lot of, of, from guys over the years of just how to connect with guys. And at this point in my career, I, sp- I probably spend more time doing that than actually, um, you know, doing schemes. You know, scheme-wise, there's probably not a whole lot that we'll do here that, you know, um, you know, high school coach probably couldn't draw up just as good. But that's not the, the secret sauce. The secret sauce is getting guys playing together and that accountability that goes into it. And um, I would say this. If, if I'm doing a good job, um, we'll hold our best players the most accountable. And if you start from that position, then everything else is gravy. But if you don't hold your best players most accountable, then you can have some bad vibes and, you know, different things can go on because, you know, they know like, hey, you're coaching that guy because he's an undrafted. You said that to him because he's an undrafted free agent as opposed to, a, um, you know, a, a, a high first round draft pick or a high priced free agent or a veteran player. Um, you know, if I'm doing a good job here, um, you know, it, we'll coach the we'll coach the undrafted free agent the same way we do the the veteran player that's been to multiple Pro Bowls, and you know when the other players see you do that, um, you know I think it gives them confidence. And um, you know, like I said, you hold your you hold your best players the most accountable. It also gives those guys a little bit of pride in knowing that um, you know they're coached the same way. I had a really good story. Um, Malcolm Jenkins is one of my favorite players I've ever coached. Um, smartest guy. I mean, he'd go the whole year without making a mistake. He'd, he could play seven different positions. And I used him as a sounding board on a lot of things. And, um, you know, his information meant a lot. You know, his ears on the field. He could come off the field and say, hey, we're having trouble with that. Or, you know, things that, you know, maybe you don't know because you're not out there. And just trusted him, you know, so much and and doing all those things. And, we played a game one time. We just coming off the Super Bowl, and we played a game down in Tampa, and and he sort of cheated on a play early in the game. Might have been the first play, and we gave him up, gave up big play. Sort of cheated out of post to try. He he played. I know what he saw, and I know why he did it. But sort of went outside the scheme a little bit to cheat it, and gave up a big play, and sort of hung a corner out to dry. And you know we don't show players up, and we don't we don't you won't see this with with my guys. We went on played the next play. So anyway, so. Monday or Tuesday, we're getting ready for our meeting. 
And I pulled him aside before because he was a veteran player. And I said, you know, hey, Jenks, like, you know I got to get you for that play. You know, we're, we're going to watch it in front of the group. You know I got to get you. And he said, don't you dare treat me um, like you would any other player. And that's a guy that, um, you know, I had incredible respect for. And his, his attention to detail was meticulous. His work ethic was unbelievable. His character, everything about that guy was just one of my favorite guys I've ever I've ever coached. But to hear him say that and say, you know, I was just trying to give him a heads up. Like, you know, hey, look, it's coming, man. It's coming. I got to do it. You know, don't and, – and just hear him say, like, no, I wouldn't want it any other way. You get guys like that, you can coach the hell out of them. And uh, you'll have good leadership and you'll have accountability. And, um, you know, again, if I, if, if I do a good job, then, you know, you'll see stuff like that. In researching your first year in uh, Philadelphia and you were trying to establish the culture and the way that you do things, it seems like they, you know, pushed back a little bit or just really weren't maybe always ready for uh, the stronger discipline uh, that you brought. So just wondering, do you, have you learned anything since then to come in any differently and get the lay of the land first? Or are you just who you are and you'll be... Yeah, I mean, I, th I think part of that is, I mean, you do change with times. You find new ways to communicate. You learn from your mistakes. I'm sure articles you've written, you go back in 93 and look at some of your articles and you probably wince and you say, boy, I, I screwed that up. I do the same thing. You know, you, you learn from your failure. Failure is a wicked teacher. You know, it's a strong teacher. You don't learn. And, and some mistakes you have to make yourself. So, you know, every every your life is a cumulative whatever of the mistakes that you've made in the past and again sometimes it's it's easier to learn from mistakes but but anyway but but you also have to go with your fastball you know if if you're always trying to throw junk and you guys you guys will find out i'm out i had a lot of baseball analogies but you know you got a good fastball well well trust it go bust them on the knuckles and and make them hit 99 don't speed your bat up by uh, throwing too many change-ups and part of it is being who you are and having the confidence to be who you are. And I think I've done that over the years. And like I said, there's, there's plenty of ways to, um, you know, um, um, work around things and everything. But if you're, if you're consistent, I think from a player, being a coach is a little bit like being a parent. You know, you have to be consistent. You have to, if you establish rules, you have to enforce them. And, and kids take a lot of, um, um, their cues from that, and I think players do too. And I've become less less reactionary over the years. I'm pretty good at um, you know keeping my eye on that uh, that point on the horizon, and just keeping the boat like right on that point, and you know not paddling too hard on one side and going here and then going there, and then you're not making any progress. So I think I've improved that way over the years. I can still I can still you know. I can still get after it, but um, maybe in a different way than I have in the past. Uh, the last couple of years, it's maybe. I, first of all, I don't know how involved you were with the defense in Tennessee. And second, did you miss the sort of the action of being the coordinator during the game and that? No, because you know, and I say this, I've enjoyed every role I've had um, in football, whether I was a graduate assistant or a position coach or unpaid intern or the head coach or the defense coordinator, I've enjoyed every bit of it. That's why I decided to make a career in football is because I enjoyed every little aspect about it. My role was different. 
it, my, my job was to be a good mentor. My job was to give an extra set of eyes. My job was to make suggestions and not have not be ruffled if they weren't acted on. My job was not to be the coordinator, but my job was to help the coordinator and help the position coaches and maybe say, you know, hey, look, you do it this way. I've had success doing it this way in the past. You might want to try this. Um, so, you know, I, I think I was still able to make a contribution. Um, I'm incredibly grateful to uh, to Mike Vrabel for giving me the trust to do that and, and to Shane for trusting me to do that. But they knew I didn't have any um, objective other than to help and to win. And, you know, my job was to do a good job at the job they gave me. And that was that. So it was fulfilling. They're all very great people in here, so we talk about analytics a lot. You were uh, kind of ahead of your time in the use of stats. Uh, I wonder how you feel that uh, tool has evolved in the NFL, and is there too much information now available to coaches? Well, I don't don't know that there's ever too much information. Any decision you want to make, more information is better. I I do think this, it's the, the balancing act there is separating signal from noise it's it's gleaning what's important and what helps make decisions and what helps put the players in position and not slow anybody down with that stuff i mean i I think the what's the what's the saying paralysis by analysis i think that's a real thing i think you can get a little too bogged up in that but i'm i'm a big fan of information and all the information we're going to use whatever we can get, if it helps us to a decision and it helps us streamline communication and allows players to play faster and coaches to coach better, um, yeah, I'm all for that uh, stuff. And, you know, I, I, would, I, I did do a lot of that stuff um, here. But, you know, in, it, it wasn't anything new. You know, maybe maybe it's it's under a different package now and, you know, it's done a little bit different. But coaches have been using analytics as long as uh, – you know, as long as the ball's been um, pigskin and laced, um, you know, they, there's been some version of analytics. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's it, it's a, it's a it's an important tool to help you to good decisions and help you to be more productive. And um, you know, but you know, like an artist, I do think that um, you know they're 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 it's not always paint by numbers. You know, that's never made a good artist, you know, that sometimes you have to color outside the lines and sometimes, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, use some structure within what you're doing. And I'd, I'd say that, uh, you know, that I've, I've learned that. So, all right. So, sorry for the long winded uh, stuff. And, and, and I do I do want to say what an honor it is to be back in northern Ohio here and um you know, when, when the team left and went to Baltimore, I went with them. And we all knew that it wasn't the last, um, you know, that Cleveland was going to see football. It wasn't goodbye. It was just so long till we see you again. And uh, to be back amongst the, the passionate fans in the Midwest, um, you know, it's, it's, it's you, you want a coach where, where fans are passionate. I've been very fortunate. I mean, Philadelphia, okay, check. We're, you know, we, 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 we had that. Detroit, yes, Buffalo. You know, I've had some great stops that way. Tennessee, um, you know, so you embrace that part of it. And, you know, um, I think that's, you know, that, that's an important part of our process. And that's an important part of, of 
what the organization goes through. And I feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to the fans here to get this right and to reward them because, you know, I'll forget most plays of the Super Bowl that I was with with the Eagles. I'll forget just about every play in that game. But what I won't forget is that parade afterwards. It's indelible in my mind. I'll never forget it. And in my mind, there's only one place that would outdo that parade in Philadelphia. And um, and we're here right now. So I, I'm really excited about getting to work. And um, it's an honor to have uh, Dino look over this uh, proceeding, too. So thanks, guys. Thank you. I promise not to be so long. Well, that one checks every box. Jim, if that doesn't move you, I can't help you. That was great. He hit it right out of the park, and he hit it early. Um, his memories here in Cleveland, and I really think his heart uh, was full, yeah. uh, you know, coming back here. That was very special. It's always special for me when I get to do a I had a great time, Bo. My pleasure, sir. The great Jim Donovan. Uh, the next level is coming up next. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Ballybet. Coming soon to Ohio on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and 850 ESPN Cleveland.